0: another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday. March 26, 2018, kicking off the show, a little beatbox by The Art of Noise. Big show to get to tonight. We've got uh, Major League Baseball starting the season uh, on Thursday, March 29th, for for reasons known only to Major League Baseball. Uh, We've got uh, NCAA, the Final Four is set. Little NFL as the uh, owners' meeting commen- owners' meetings commenced today. Uh, some rules changes. Uh, we'll wrap up uh, the tail end here of free agency. A couple of moves have been made since we last did a show, um, and uh, we'll talk a little NBA as well as uh, that long slog of the season mercifully comes to an end. But um. <laughs> well, we start with Major League Baseball. And, uh, of course, the New York Metropolitans. Um, And, look, it's been a, um, uh, I think, a productive spring from the standpoint that, uh, for the most part, Mets have been healthy. Um, Conforto, way ahead of schedule. Uh, I think probably had, the Mets not had such ridiculous issues with injuries, bringing guys back too early, you know, misdiagnosing injuries. All, you know, we listen, we've talked about the Mets and their inability to handle injuries uh, ad nauseum here for, for years because it's been a, a consistent theme probably for 10 years now, right, because it was a theme when Omar Minaya was here, and it's continued to be a theme since Sandy Alderson has been here, although – I remember the breathless proclamations from the baseball intelligentsia here in New York City, the Joel Shermans of the world and the Andy Martinos uh, and the David Lennons, uh, how Sandy Olson was going to clean all this up. He was going to add credibility to the organization and he was going to clean it all up. Well, uh, it's continued to be an issue under him and the credibility uh, you can question as well with the fact that This idiotic Tim Tebow experiment uh, is not dying anytime soon. And he's, for some reason, starting the year at double A. Even though he was an absolute embarrassment in spring training. And, by the way, not surprisingly. So, I think he was one for 20 with 12 strikeouts. So, apparently, that earns one a promotion from single A to double A. In Sandy Alderson's wisdom. Mr. Credibility. We'll get to Sanyoles in a second. Sorry, I digress. Um, but you yeah, had the Jason Vargas injury, nothing serious. Broken bone on the non-pitching hand, had surgery. Will probably miss two or three starts. Not the end of the world. Conforto way ahead of schedule. And again, if not for the Mets, you know, laughable ineptitude when it, can, when it comes to injuries over the last 10 years, probably could be on the opening day roster. But I will say to their credit, they have finally taken my advice, which is err on the side of caution. And though, and, and I and ironically, this is probably one instance where they don't need to do that. He's played now in several minor league games, either against other real teams and or internal. Uh, he's you know gotten about thirty at twenty uh, something at bats. Says he feels fine. Uh, the Mets' third base coach, Glenn Sherlock, who, by the way, again, continues a long-standing tradition of the Mets having probably the worst third base coach in the sport at any given time. I mean, what, seriously, when's the last time the Mets had a good third base coach? Was it Sam Pralazo? Maybe back when Bobby Valentine was the third base coach before he was the, the manager? I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. From Manny Acta to Chip Hale to Tim Tuffle to this guy. I mean, th- this guy's a disaster he was awful last year, and he almost got Conforto killed in a spring training game the other day by needlessly sending him home into a bang bang play at the plate. Now, thankfully, Conforto was able to avoid a collision, but you know he did one of those sort of awkward slides where you you know you you, you throw your arm back around to 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 so your hand touches home plate, and he says he's fine. But of course, that was the the the, the arm where he. Uh, just that you know that that he dislocated his shoulder. So anyway. My point is he's fine. He should probably start the season on, on the roster. The Mets aren't. And again, since they've always messed us up, I can't kill them for keeping him out. He'll probably be back mid-April. So that's good news. And the other pitchers have all been healthy. Max has been healthy, Harvey's been healthy, Wheeler's been healthy. Syndergaard's been healthy. DeGrom has been healthy. Lugo, Gisellman. All been healthy. And all, for the most part, have pitched pretty well with the exception of Wheeler, who started out okay. His last two starts were poor. And is now, as a result, starting the year in AAA. So let's get to, you know what, let's get to the good first with the Mets Because there's always, you know Let's be fair, there's been some things I've liked That I've seen so far From this new regime A.K.A. Mickey Calloway And Dave Island, the pitching coach And one is, they talked a lot All season about accountability Particularly with the pitchers And They actually have put their money Where their mouths are Zach Wheeler is starting the year in Triple A. You know, nobody's on, days of scholarship appear to be over, okay? Just because you were the big, first Sandy Alderson's big trade six years ago, right? His first big trade when they traded Beltron to the Giants for Wheeler, who was a big-time prospect, right? He was a top-ten pick by the Giants. Uh, that's not cutting it anymore. He didn't pitch well, and he didn't pitch well in particular against the Nationals in two games, the team the Mets have to beat. They want to try to win this division. So, you know what? Good for the Mets, and good for Mickey Callaway, and good for Dave Island. And Dave Island said, look, let's let's be blunt. He didn't pitch well, okay? But guess what? Go down to AAA, work on the stuff we told you to work on, pitch well, and get back up here. Perfect. It's not so hard, is it? See that, Mets? It's not that hard. There's nothing wrong with that. He didn't kill the guy. He didn't question his manhood or his commitment or any of those things. You got to pitch better. There's no great crime in that. So, you know, look. Thrilled about that. Thrilled. The other guy was Hansel Robles. Guy who's had some success at the major league level had a very poor year for the Mets last year, and had a miserable spring. Now, at times, he displays electric stuff, but he also gives up home runs, like, you know, people give out candy on Halloween. And he had a horrible spring. So he's starting the year in the minors. Just because you've been on the big league roster doesn't mean you get to be on the big league roster. Just because you have good stuff doesn't mean you get to be on the big league roster. So good. And Dave Island said the same thing. Look, I know he didn't want to hear it. I know he doesn't want to start the year at AAA. Got to pitch better. His attention to detail is lacking. He puts way too many balls right in the middle of the plate. He gets, I guess, a little lazy sometimes in his delivery and hangs a bunch of breaking balls. that get crushed. Go down to the minor leagues. Work on what we told you to work on. If you pitch well, Chances are you're going to find your way back on the Major League team. Great. It's amazing. What a concept of meritocracy with the Mets. The other thing I love, Wilmer Flores. Guy's been a solid Major League hitter since he's been with the Mets. Talk about him a lot. One of my favorite Mets. Just because Adrian Gonzalez, who was an all-star five years ago, is here. First of all, he looks horrible in the spring. Now, with with veterans with a proven track record you can pretty much ignore spring training statistics. Now, in Gonzalez's case, it's a little bit different because he barely played last year, and he didn't play well when he did play. So you would have liked to have seen more from him, but the Mets aren't paying him anything. He's making, you know, the Mets are only picking up about $500,000 of the $22 million that he's making this year. Um, and so they're going to give him every opportunity to be, you know, the de facto starter at first base with Dom Smith with the quad injury. He hasn't, he's, he's played one spring training game. um, But I love it. Callaway came out the other day and said, look, Wilmer Flores is going to play. He's going to play first base and he's going to play against righties too. He's definitely going to play against lefties because he crushes lefties, kills lefties, kills them. Career numbers against lefties are outstanding, but he's a good professional major league hitter. And, Callaway said, look, he's going to play against righties, too. So I love that. Love it. Guess what? He earned it, and he's being rewarded for it. Great. You know, I would say Gonzalez probably play four days a week. Wilmer will play three. And in the games where the Mets play in an American League park and they need a DH, Callaway will have some options. We'll get to that later. Because look, the, the Mets need to figure out a way to get Brandon Nimmo in this lineup as much as they can. Okay. This, 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 this nonsense of in Conforto lead off and Cespedes second, we'll get to that later. Sorry. We're, we're focusing only on the positive right now. So that's been great. That's been a nice revelation. The catching situation. Travis Darnot, who was this, remember now, not Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darno was the signature piece in the R.A. Dickey trade. And he played well when he played in 2015. He had about an 840, 850 OPS, which is excellent from any player, particularly a catcher, right? Again, OPS being uh, on base percentage and slugging percentage combined. Um. But, you know, defense sloppy at times, not a very good thrower, Uh, you know, doesn't call, I don't think, a particularly great game, horrible on balls in the dirt, blocking pitches in the dirt, right, very lazy in his mechanics back there, bad footwork, okay, suppose he frames pitches well, great, Uh, (laughs) that's nice, but all the other stuff is bad, but he was always handed the job, because the Mets never brought in anybody to compete with him. Well, they called up Kevin Plowecki, one of their draft picks in this Alderson era, guy who was supposed to be a good hitter, didn't really hit well, probably was rushed to the big leagues, probably didn't deserve to be in the big leagues, probably played before he was ready, didn't play well. But the Mets again had no other options, so he just got to play. When Darneau was hurt, Kevin Plowecki got to play. But he got sent down in the minors last year, came back up. Played well down the stretch, and both guys have had very good springs. And I think you'll see, it would appear, that they will do a bit of a platoon either, even though both guys are right-handed hitters. And good. If that's what's going to be the best thing for the team, great. And I think you're going to see maximum maximum production from both of those guys as a result. Look, catching is hard, (laughs) right? It's the hardest thing to do in baseball. It's the hardest position to play, anyway, physically speaking. takes the biggest toll on one's body. So, you know, one guy plays, let's say, 90 games. The other guy plays 70 or something like that, roughly. You know, I don't think it's going to be an 81-81 split, but in any event, I think that'll be good for both of them. And good that the Mets didn't feel the need to have to name one of them the guy. You know, whoever happens to be playing well whoever matches up better against that pitcher, and I guess whoever develops the best chemistry with whomever's pitching for the Mets that day, that's who's going to play. Imagine that. So I like all those things that I've seen. All different than when Terry Collins was the manager. Right? Terry always talked a good game, and he had this unearned reputation as being a bit of a a, a disciplinarian because he was a lunatic disciplinarian 20 years ago when he managed the the Angels and the Astros. But he he was not that here at all. There was no accountability whatsoever. Guys make mistakes, never miss a game, never sit out, never get pulled from a game, nothing. It was a joke. It was an absolute joke. So uh, it's nice to see that. Now, with the Mets... There's the good, and then there's the not-so-good. So, so the not-so-good. I, I alluded to it a couple of minutes ago. This batting order right now is an embarrassment. It's a complete embarrassment. You can talk to me about analytics all you want, okay? And this new, fa- this new fangled, stupid groupthink that says you put your best hitter second. Why? Because the Angels bat Mike Trout second? Mike Trout is a once-in-a-generation player. And it's the American League, where batting second is like batting third because you have the DH. So just because the Angels do it with Mike Trout, now every team's going to bat their, se- their their best hitter second now all of a sudden. The Yankees are going to do it with Aaron Judge too. It's preposterous. It's idiotic. But with the Yankees, it's less so because that whole lineup is good and deep. With the Mets, batting Cespedes second makes... Absolutely no sense. First of all, you want a guy with a high on-base percentage batting second. Cespedes' so career on-base percentage is 328. Not particularly good. Now, to be fair, with the Mets the last two years, it's been 350. Which is good, but not great. You want a guy with a better on-base percentage than that, hitting at the top of your lineup. You'll take it, but you'd really, in an ideal world, you'd like your second place, your leadoff hitter and your second place hitter to be in the 370s or higher that's number one number two Cespedes is the best run producer on this team by a lot he is a cleanup hitter period the end you could, I could maybe see hitting him third because he didn't have a third hitter but the Mets have a third hitter his name is Michael Conforto But because he does have a very high on-base percentage, or at least he did last year, the Mets are going to bat him leadoff. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. But he also had 27 home runs last year. Gee, you wouldn't want a guy who hits three, you know, with the potential to hit over 300 with a 380 on on-base percentage and power hitting third, followed by a guy who's going to hit about 280 with a ton of power hitting fourth, right? You wouldn't want that. That's of no interest to anyone. I mean, it's just so stupid. So, as of today, the Mets' uh, opening day lineup will be some version of this. Nimmo leading off, which I like because Confort is going to start the year on the DL. Um, Cespedes, too. Ridiculous. Jay Bruce hitting third. Now, I like Jay Bruce. I like Jay Bruce for a lot of reasons. I've talked about him positively on this show many times. He's a great clubhouse guy, he's a stand-up guy, he answers questions thoughtfully and honestly from the media, and he's a good solid player, more importantly than all that stuff. He's a good major league hitter, he's a solid player. He is not a third place hitter, he is nobody's idea, I don't care what analytics one wants to look at, Jay Bruce is not a third place hitter, on a good team, on a good team Jay Bruce is not a third place hitter. Strikes out too much, doesn't hit for high on average. By the way, his on-base percentage isn't great either. It's about 330. So that makes no sense. In an ideal situation, Jay Bruce hits fifth on your team. And I'll get to you what the Mets' lineup should be in a second. So Jay Bruce hitting third, that's insane. The worst now is the next two. Todd Frazier and his 209 batting average hitting cleanup. That's ridiculous. Listen, again, if you want to be a good team, if you want to be the Rays and you want a guy who's an all-or-nothing hitter like Todd Frazier is, who either strikes out or hits a home run, fine, you can bat him fourth. But if you're trying to actually win something, Todd Frazier cannot be your cleanup hitter. Cannot. And by the way, Mets fans, don't you just know he's going to be terrible? You just, right? You just, at least I do. Maybe I'm just because I'm pessimistic. I just get the sense that he's gonna get off to a terrible start. Mets and Mets fans are gonna, you know, we all wanted Mustakis instead of him anyway. The Mets could have had Mustafa for less money or around the same money. Less years, certainly. Only went back went back to the Royals on a one-year deal. Mets gave Frazier two. I I just have I just get the sense that this is gonna be but by about June, we're gonna be screaming. For Flores to take over for Frazier at third base defense, be damned, because Frazier's gonna be hitting about 202 with six home runs. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But he is not a cleanup hitter. Uh, on a, again, in a good lineup, he's a sixth place hitter. In a really good lineup, he's a seventh place hitter. So he's gonna hit fourth. As Drubal Cabrera is going to hit 5th, he should be hitting 2nd or 7th in a good lineup. And then Adrian Gonzalez will hit 6th. Whomever catches will hit 7th. Ahmed Rosario will hit 8th. Those things are fine. But Bruce, (laughs) Frazier, and Cabrera, 3-4-5. I mean, are you kidding? I mean... Listen, it's interesting. I know everybody loves analytics now, right? Somehow, for about 130 years, the concept of putting your best hitter third and your best run producers fourth and fifth, somehow that served many teams extremely well for about 130 years. Now, all of a sudden, it's irrelevant because of analytics? Because the sabermetricians say... You bat your best player second because that's what Mike Trout did with the Angels? It's ridiculous. I mean, everybody loves to say every sport, oh, it's a copycat, you know, the NFL is a copycat league. Right? You could also call it what, I, what it is, dumb groupthink. That's what this is. Again, if the Mets had a player like Mike Trout then maybe you can talk me into the idea that you could bat him, that guy should be hitting second. But they don't have Mike Trout. And I love Cespedes. He's the most exciting player the Mets have had, offensive player the Mets have had, since, since Piazza was here. He's a true difference maker. He's a stud in the lineup that needs to be accounted for. Should not be hitting second. So, if I had my druthers, this would be the opening day lineup. Or not the opening day lineup, but the Mets' best lineup. Nimo leading off, as Drupal Cabrera hitting second, and Nimo would be playing right field, by the way. As Drupal Cabrera hits second, Conforto third, Cespedes fourth, Jay Bruce fifth, uh, Frazier sixth, and Jay Bruce would be playing first base catcher 7th, shortstop 8th. That should be the Mets that's the Mets best lineup. That's their best offensive lineup. It's not their best defensive team, but it's their best offensive lineup. And actually you could play Nimmo in center and Conforto in right where I think Conforto's better suited to play right field than he is to play center field. Mets aren't going to do that, at least not initially. But to me, that's, that's definitely their best offensive lineup. It's not even close. So, hate this new lineup. Hate this idea of Cespedes batting second and Conforto hitting leadoff. Can't stand it. Hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And then the last thing is, uh, the Mets, and again, I get it, it's spring training. But you would think after last year... Right, which was a disaster. Uh, you would think, you know, with the new manager and a whole new outlook, right, new attitude and spring training, you'd think you'd see maybe a concerted effort for like better base running, better fundamentals. It, the Mets have looked so sloppy, and boy, have they looked anything like a team that's intent on impressing their new manager. I mean, they have, it looks like the same old junk. We're used to seeing under Terry Collins. Now, to be fair, to Mickey Calloway, Rome wasn't built in a day. Fundamentals and base running have been ignored since the second Sandy Alderson showed up here and Terry Collins managed this team. So he's got a lot of bad habits to try to undo. Now, he mentioned it twice in spring training, twice. At least he mentioned it. Terry Collins never brought it up once in seven years here or however long he was here. So at least Callaway has acknowledged it. Now let's see if he actually acts on it. So the next time, and I don't care who it is, I don't care if it's Cespedes, I don't care if it's Conforto, next time one of these nitwits commits a a base-running error that you wouldn't expect an 8-year-old to make, let's see if he actually does something about it. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the NFL right after this. edition of Jamal About Sports. Taking us back from the break. The end by the Beatles. Quick little trivia for you. One Jim Ryder Hayden, aka my pops, can play that drum uh, solo, if you will. Uh, It's a little factoid for you. In any event, uh, we are back. NFL. We've got uh, the owners' meetings in place. And so the big talk now... Is the uh, they're finally changing the catch rule, right? Um, why they ever changed it to begin with, nobody knows. One of the great mysteries of all time. Um, but it appears they are changing the catch rule so that now the Des Bryan play against the Packers in the playoffs a few years ago that would be considered a catch, the Jesse James play against the Patriots last year. That would be considered a catch. Calvin Johnson play would be considered a catch. That's all well and good. This this topic I find so tedious and tiresome. And frankly, it's hard for me to not get angry about it. I know it's eight years after the fact with the Calvin Johnson play. I, I, I still have never seen anything like it. Well, not I've never seen anything like it. We've seen plenty of other instances. Um, and I, I just, it, look, let's just hope they get it right. That's That's all. That's all. Uh, we talked about it after the Super Bowl. You saw that they finally realized that they've been screwing this up now, and they did not want their signature moment, okay, to, to, to come down to, you know, the ball moving a millimeter in a frame by frame replay and this clown Al Riveron in New York City overturning the, the call on the field, right? They didn't want that anymore. I'm sure Goodell went to the league and the officials before the Super Bowl and said, guys, if it's the, unless it is so glaring, right that they messed up on the field keep the call on the field which they were doing for years i don't understand why this year they decided to switch it but in any event you know look what a catch what's a catch what's not a catch it's like that old line i forget who who the senator was who said listen i don't know what the definition of pornography is but i know it when i see it same thing with a catch in the nfl right you can give me all kinds of definitions and write the, write it in the rule book and make it as esoteric and ridiculous as you'd like. We know it when we see it. So hopefully at the end of the day, common sense will prevail and, that, and we can go back to our lives now with what a catch is in the NFL. That's number one. Now, the other big issue was protesting, right? You know. Orange Julius and the whole nine yards calling everybody sons of bitches, and, and again, erroneously and duplicitously making it about anti-America, anti-military, which those protests were never about those things at all, right? Again, Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed consulted Nate Boyer, a former Green Beret, as to the best way to protest, he told them take a knee. So somebody who served in the military told them to do that, and yet somehow they're anti-military. It's funny. I never hear Trump mention that in his diatribes. I never heard Mike Pence mention that. By the way, two guys never served in the military. Shocking. I know, Corporal Corporal Bone Spurs. Uh, so, um, and so surprisingly, you had Chris Johnson, Woody Johnson's brother, because Woody Johnson's off being the ambassador to uh, the United Kingdom, I believe, under, uh, in this current administration. Uh, His brother saying that if the team's silencing players from speaking their minds is a fantastically bad idea. I I, I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. Brilliant. But then, (laughs) on the opposite end of the spectrum, Mr. The Inmates Running the Asylum, Bob McNair, Field is no place for political views and this and that. And and, and, and by the way, Bob McNair also is the one sticking up for Jerry Richardson, the um, owner of the Panthers, who's been accused of, you know, all sorts of saying all sorts of racially insensitive things and sexist things. And said, oh, he's probably just joking around. I mean, Bob McNair, (laughs) if you could be any less enlightened, you would be living... In a cave. I mean, it's unbelievable. So look, uh, you know, who knows if there will if there will be any resolution to that? Again, personal opinion. I don't know that there needs to be. Right. I mean, I would just love somebody to finally set the record straight. And Eric Reed, by the way, is being blackballed by the league now too. Eric Reed's still a very good player, and he's young. He's like 27 years old and he's a versatile safety, and he can play, uh, and now he can't get a job? Shocker. And he's now come out and said he does not plan to kneel anymore. He plans to still be active, right, and do things, I guess, off the field, in the community, speak up, be a leader, all the things. And good for him, League needs more guys like Eric Reed, probably, but he can't get a job now. I hope he does. I'll tell you, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the Lions from a flat-out performance perspective. Guy can play. Now the Lions are pretty, pretty deep at safety. I don't know that there's necessarily a fit there, but uh, there's plenty of teams in the league that could use Eric Reed. Uh, the Giants, by the way, just signed Darren Thompson from, uh, not Darren Thompson, uh, Michael Thomas from uh, the Dolphins, who, by the way, also was a protester. So I'm not saying the Giants aren't signing Eric Reed because of that, but Eric Reed's a better player than Michael Thomas. Um, so, whatever. There, there's a lot of teams in the league who use Eric Reed. So we'll see. Um, hopefully he gets signed. Now, as far as my Lions are concerned, very, very pleased so far with the way their offseason has gone. Look, I know, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot now. A lot of Lions fans very upset that, that you know, we haven't that the Lions haven't made a big splash signing. As AG and I talked about a couple of weeks ago at the outset of free agency, the, 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 the teams that win March often don't win when it counts in the fall. And if you, you know, it's not hard to connect the dots here, right? Bob Quinn came from the Patriots. The Patriots rarely make big free agent splash signings. They will do it occasionally if they feel that there's a young player in his prime and it's also a position of need for them. That's why they went out and signed Stephon Gilmore last year, right? He's a young player in his prime. They knew the player well. They play him twice a year because he played for the Bills, so they're film, you know, they're they're watching him on film, they're scouting him up and they decided to take the plunge. But more often than not, they sign guys to fill specific roles, maybe be starters, versatile guys, guys that can fill play multiple positions, both offense and defense. They give guys a lot of one-year contracts, so there's plenty of incentives to play well. I mean, the the most of the NFL is a one-year contract anyway, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, these are legit one-year deals. And so that's what Bob Quinn has mostly done. Now, last year, he thought he identified offensive line as a major need, and so he gave big money to Rick Wagner, right tackle, T.J. Lang, right guard. Okay, the year prior, after Calvin Johnson retired, he identified a big-play wide receiver as a major need. He gave Marvin Jones, who I think was 26 or 25 at the time, four years, 40 million. Two years later, that contract looks it's quaint. Sammy Watkins just got 16 million dollars a year. He's never had a good a year as good as Marvin Jones had last year. Marvin Jones is now almost underpaid based on the year he had last year, this past season. So when he didn't go out and make any big splash for agent science this year, it's not, you shouldn't be surprised. Again, talked about some of the moves he made, and then he caught Eric Ebron, which I loved. And now he's come out and said it was purely a financial decision. That's fine. You know what? There's no need to kill a guy on his way out the door. Right? No use crying over spilt milk. He, never, he didn't draft the player, right? Bob Quinn didn't draft Eric Ebron. That was a Martin Mayhew pick. So... There's no need. And listen, I don't, Ill, I don't wish Eric Ebron any ill will. I have no ill will towards Eric Ebron. He got a two-year deal with, with the Colts for $15 million. Good for him. I hope he plays well for them. If they play the Lions, I hope he has a bad game because I want the Lions to win, but I don't have anything against the guy personally. And I get it. It was not his fault he was overdrafted. But again, the bottom line with Eric Ebron is he just was not an impact player. And he was not worth $8.5 million. He wasn't. That's for top-tier tight ends. He's not a top-tier tight end. And so they signed Luke Wilson, backup tight end, the last four or five years for uh, the Seahawks uh, for a one-year, $2.5 million deal. They drafted Michael Roberts in the fourth round last year, whom they like a lot. Now, look, he's largely unproven. I get it. He had four catches last year. But he also had 16 touchdowns his senior year at Toledo. He's got massive hands, and he's 6'4 with long arms. I think he should be, at worst, a viable red, th- red zone threat this year with an increased role. And he had four catches last year. The Lions never threw to him. He was third on the depth chart behind Ebron and Darren Fells. So I would expect the Lions to easily make up for Ebron's uh, quote-unquote production, which was like 50 catches for 500-something yards and four touchdowns. Those are not exactly the numbers of a world-beater, by the way. With Luke Wilson, Michael Roberts, and maybe they'll sign another veteran later on before training camp, or maybe they draft somebody. Guy I love, Troy Fumagalli out of Wisconsin. Probably be available, definitely will be available in the fourth round, probably could get him in the fifth round. He's basically Owen Daniels 2.0. Same school, same kind of player. Doesn't have great speed, very good hands, runs good routes, catches everything. And be done with it. And you can use that money that you're saving on other on other areas. They signed Sylvester Williams, former first-round pick, defensive tackle, one-year deal, played well for Denver, was part of that defense that won that Super Bowl, that carried Peyton Manning to that Super Bowl played well for that team, didn't play great, signed a three-year, pretty significant contract with Tennessee, didn't have a great year. But again, you got to trust in Quinn and now Matt Patricia, the new head coach, that they've got a defined role in store for him. And they'll maximize his potential and what he brings to the table. So I'm very happy with what the Lions have done so far in free agency. We'll see what they do in the draft. But they're sticking to their plan, and it's the right plan. You know, they got they signed Deshaun Shedd from the Seahawks, one year, two and a half, three million dollar deal. They re-signed their own guy, Nevin Lawson, corner, two years, nine million. DJ Hayden, who they signed to a one-year, five million dollar deal last year. Played okay for the Lions. He wasn't great, wasn't bad. He was okay. He got a he got sixteen, eighteen million for three years from the ja- from Jacksonville. So look, and I and I'm not saying Nevin Lawson uh, is a superstar, but every team can use a guy like Nevin Lawson. He'll play special teams. He tackles. He competes his tail off. Has poor ball skills. Admittedly, I will admit that. Yes does not have great ball skills, does not have an interception in 3 years in the league. But he gives you everything else you want. And he cares. And he competes his tail off. Always find a guy like, room for a guy like that on my team. And they've got Tease Tabor last year's second round pick. So between those three guys, you think they've got they should have the stop, the opposite corner position of Slay covered, plus you've got Jamal Agnew back in the mix. So one of those guys should be a starter. Jamal Agnew could be the nickel. Maybe Lawson's the nickel. Maybe Shed and Tabor split. I mean, they've got options, all of them good ones. None of them are Johnson Betamosi <laughs> or some old washed-up veteran. So I, I like what they did. I'm happy with it. They just signed Jonathan Freeney. Who's he, you might ask? Exactly. Played for the Patriots, played for Patricia. He's an inside linebacker, could also play some outside. Not a big name, not a star by any stretch, but the Lions aren't asking him to be a star. He's there for depth, and he's a guy who knows Patricia's scheme. Worst case scenario, he's good in the meeting room with the linebackers, maybe imparts some wisdom. He's there throughout training camp, and if he doesn't cut the mustard, he won't be there at the end. He won't be on the opening day roster. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, he's a solid backup special teams guy. So, we'll see. But so far, very happy. All right, we'll wrap it up with some basketball. Down to the final four, we've got uh, two one seeds in Villanova and Kansas. Kansas... Uh, overtime win over Duke yesterday. Villanova, another workmanlike win over Texas Tech yesterday um, after kind of a workmanlike win over West Virginia, who's always a pain in the neck to play. You know, Bob Huggins with that, that rough and tumble style. Uh, you know, some, some might call it thug ball <laughs> that West Virginia plays. You know, they like to full court trap, they're very physical. You know, they're one of these teams that basically it seems like they foul on every play and, and dare the refs to call it. So Villanova able to to, to get past both of those teams. Uh, and then you've got Michigan and Loyola Chicago. Everybody had them, right? 11 seed. Um, and Michigan, look, they got hot in the Big Ten tournament and they've just kept it rolling ever since. Uh, and John Beeline is now finally starting to get some national recognition as one of the best coaches in college basketball. He's done a tremendous job with that team. Uh, But the guy that makes it all go for Villanova is is Jalen Brunson, the point guard. Uh, And and this is a classic example, right, of of where the NBA – I I can't wait until three years from now when Jalen Brunson is a really good point guard in the NBA and Trey Young, the kid from Oklahoma – Is a flamed-out bust of a lottery pick, and everyone's going to be scratching their heads wondering why. Well, um, I understand everybody loves Trey Young because he's an ESPN media creation, because he had, like, three good games where he was, you know, making, you know, 27-foot jump shots, and because he's small and slight, the lazy comparison was, oh, he's the next Steph Curry, except he's nothing like Steph Curry. I mean, yeah, he's like Steph Curry in the fact that they're both human beings who breathe air, yeah, and they play basketball, I guess. But, I mean, and yeah, just because you take a lot of deep shots doesn't mean you should be taking a lot of deep shots, which he does. So he shoots about 8 for 25, 7 for 22 every game. He had a nice stretch there early in the year when Oklahoma got out to a 14-2 and record. Oklahoma was an absolute disaster for the last two and a half months of the year. They had no business in the tournament, and he played horribly. Now, he played okay in their opening round loss. He played okay. Not great. Played okay. But look, this idea that he's a lottery pick is insane. It's insane. He plays no defense at all. None. He can't. He's, they list him at 6'2". Not a chance he's 6'2". When they measure him at whatever, that the NBA draft combine, guarantee you he's six foot. And he's about 160 pounds. Now, could he eventually be a nice third? I mean, basically what you're looking at is Trey Burke. You're looking at Trey Burke. That's the kid on the Knicks now, who was the ninth pick of the draft by the Jazz, flamed out there, flamed out in in Washington, had to go to the G League this year with the Knicks, get his act together, refocus himself, and now he's been an effective scoring point guard for the Knicks, but on a terrible Knicks team, by the way. Terrible Knicks team. And Trey Burke is not a starting point guard in the league either on a good team. He's like a Vinnie Johnson type. He's a good third guard, you know, kind of high-energy scorer off the bench. And Trey Young can probably be that or has a chance to be that. But a a, 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 a top-quality point guard on a good team, not a chance. Jalen Brunson, on the other hand, knows how to play the position. Not that tall. But he's got a good kind of stout body Not a great shooter But he'll make big shots He's not fast by any stretch Probably not even overly quick But all he does is know how to play the game Sees the floor Controls the pace of the game beautifully Gets guys in the right spots Where they're supposed to be He's what we used to call a floor general Brunson is the consummate floor general Think he's got a little Mark Jackson in him Now, Mark Jackson had a little flash to his game, particularly early in his career. Brunson's not that, but as far as heady player, seeing the floor well, knowing where to get guys the ball, that would be an apt comparison. And Brunson will be a second-round pick, and this Trey Young is going to be a lottery pick, and I guarantee you in three years, Brunson will be starting for a team in the NBA and playing well, and Trey Young will be on probably his second team, and they'll be trying to figure out what to do with him. And speaking of the NBA, first of all, the Knicks, I mean, (laughs) they had a win yesterday. At this point, you don't want the Knicks to win, so of course they've won a few games recently, because you want them to just try to be as bad as they can to increase their their draft uh, lottery percentages. Um, And they had a chance there. There was a chance. When the Knicks had 24 wins, right, the Bulls had 24 wins. The Nets had 23. So there was a chance the Knicks could, you know, finish behind those guys. And now the Nets don't own their pick, right? Cleveland owns that pick, which would be scary. Um, So there was a chance maybe the Knicks could move up into the sixth, like be, 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 be assured no worse than the sixth pick. But that's gone by the wayside now. They've won a few games, uh, and now they're 27-47. and 47. Um, but, the, but the NBA in general, I mean, think about that. The Knicks went, I think, on, a, on a, a, a stretch where they lost so many, I think they lost 18 and 19 games or something like that, and then barely made a dent in their lottery uh, positioning because every other team around them is in full tank mode too, including the Bulls. You know, the Nets, I don't know that they're necessarily tanking. They're just not very good, um, and they don't know how to win because the Nets have actually had big leads recently against some decent teams, and then they completely collapse late. Uh, but the Magic are in tank mode, the Hawks. I mean, it, it, it's uh, – and then you go out to the West. I mean, the Kings. Oh, yeah, the Kings have 24 wins. I mean, there, there was a chance the Knicks could have moved up. But anyway, Dallas, Memphis, and, and Phoenix, I mean, they're, they're all – these are all just wretched, wretched basketball teams. Um, but the interesting thing now is um, Kyrie Irving's injury, what that means for the Celtics and when he's going to be back. Steph Curry's injury with Golden State, he's out. Uh, he, he will miss the first round of the playoffs. Uh, and Golden State's playing without their top four players right now. Now, it doesn't matter as far as playoff seating, I do believe, uh, you know, they've got a nine-game lead uh, on the, the, the Blazers. So they're locked into the second seed. So they can rest these guys. They can, you know, Durant's got the cracked rib. You know, Draymond Green's just getting rest. Clay Thompson's just getting rest. You know, Curry's got this new knee sprain. Going to miss the first round of the playoffs. They can win without Steph Curry as long as they got the other three guys. They can beat whomever they're going to play. And, and right now it would be Minnesota. They should be able to beat Minnesota. Well, Minnesota's a little scary, assuming they get Jimmy Butler back, but he's been hurt too. But Minnesota could be, could be scary because they ostensibly have three stars, quote-unquote, in Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins, although Andrew Wiggins, to me, has been a major disappointment. He has games where he looks great, but he's been far from consistent. And Carl Anthony Towns, while a wonderful talent, and there are nights when he looks like one of the top five players in the league, you know, there's way too many games I see he goes to the foul line four times. It's ridiculous for a guy seven feet tall and as athletic as he is. Because he likes to spend his time now camping out jacking up jump shots. Because again, that's, that's the other, the, you know, that's that's permeated the NBA now in their analytics, right? Everybody's got to shoot threes. Um, So... You know, they could pose a problem for the Warriors, but, you know, it's a young team, and I don't like their bench at all. Minnesota's bench is not very good. Um, I understand the playoffs teams shorten their ro- their rotations considerably. I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, if Butler, Wiggins, and Towns all pour it on and all get super hot in a series against the Warriors and they don't have Curry, it could be a problem. Uh, the Rockets, by the way, need, they, they, they need to be discussed. 60-14. and They've won nine games in a row. If D'Antoni don't get the coach of the year this year, they, they may as well get rid of the, the, the Dopey Award. Um, he's done a tremendous job. Now, I understand they have Chris Paul. They played a bunch of games without Chris Paul. But the Rockets have everything you want in a team right now. They've got everything. They've got the star backcourt with Harden and Paul. They've got gritty... Glue guys like P.J. Tucker um, and uh, Mba Amu- Mba Amute. They've got Trevor Ariza, who's a versatile wing who can shoot the three and defend. They've got a good bench now with Anders- Ryan Anderson coming off the bench, who's a good three-point shooter. Eric Gordon, who's a, a, a you know a point a minute type of a scorer. They got Joe Johnson a few about a month ago, who, listen, probably not going to play a ton in the playoffs, but in a pinch, you know, you got to go, you got to try to get some points in a game where things aren't going well. He could get you back in a game. He can still play, give you 12, 14 minutes. And then they've got the center, Clint Capella, who just blocks shots, defends the rim, and, and, and takes those lobs from Harden and dunks. They've got all the ingredients. They've got everything you want. There's really nothing that they don't have now. Strong bench, stars, role players, tough guys, glue guys, shoot the three, get to the line a lot. They've got it all. Now, is their defense great? No, but it's not terrible. Guys like Tucker, Capella, Ariza, Mute, those guys all play D. Chris Paul's a, a, a sneaky good defender. I would say the Rockets would be the favorite in the West even with a totally healthy Golden State Warriors team. But now that they've been compromised with the injuries, Rockets are the clear-cut favorite to get out of the West. Now, the only other guy that might get Coach of the Year consideration in the West or in the whole league is Quinn Snyder with the Jazz. What he's done with that team is very impressive. 42-32, and Right now good, would be the eighth seed. So 74 games. There's only eight games left in the season. Uh, they're tied with Minnesota right now, but only a game ahead of the Nuggets uh, for that eighth seed. So that, that will bear some watching to see who gets in there and, and with, who has the, the, the joy of playing, get, getting blowed out by the Rockets in, in the first round. Um, but look, you know, uh, it, it, that'll be a, a heady accomplishment for the Jazz. And the Rookie of the Year, hands down, Donovan Mitchell, whom the Knicks should have drafted, but they didn't. And this will go down. Uh, this, 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 I think this will be worse. Drafting Frank Nilakina instead of Donovan Mitchell has the potential to be worse than the Knicks drafting Frederick Weiss instead of Ron Artest. Because although Frederick Weiss was a complete disaster and never played in the league... Um, or maybe he played one year in the league, but when he was on the team, he never played. And Artest had a very good, solid career, and particularly early. Mitchell has the makings of a star and being a better player than Ron Artest. Uh, And look, I understand Nilakina has looked, you know, the other night, everybody got all excited at 13 points. I mean, that's, you know, if we're getting excited over 13 points, and again, I understand statistics aren't everything. But um, he has not shown much. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, the one bit of hope you have is, you know, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, when the Bucks drafted him, I think he averaged six points his rookie year. But he's all, you know, he's a totally different player than Nilakina. You know, he's 6'11", with, you know, a 7'9 <laughs> wingspan, uh, and can dribble and does all kinds of crazy things. So, but... I make the comparison just to say that let's. I, I I'm. I don't want to be too quick to judge Nilakina. He is only 19 years old. You there 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 should be tons of room for improvement there, but he does not look particular. Antetokounmpo's athleticism was evident from the start. Nilakina does not seem to possess the requisite athleticism to be an above average point guard in the NBA. Um. But I digress. So in the East right now, the Raptors are the first overall seed at 54-20. and 20. They've had a really nice year. Uh, I don't like their prospects in the playoffs, and I'll tell you why. They have sort of – they're an interesting team. They go 10 deep, and their they're, 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 they're second five may play as many, as many minutes as their starting five from game to game. And it, it's a talented group, and it's, it's an up-tempo group That second five. They play defense, they they block shots, they get out on the break. But that formula is typically not one for success in the playoffs. And also, if you notice in the playoffs, generally speaking, the sort of second-tier guys on a team, either the starters or the bench guys, unless it's like a six-man-of-the-year type, tend to not play well on the road in the playoffs particularly young ones and the, the Raptors have a lot of young guys on, the, on that second unit um, so I do not like their prospects uh, the Cavs have been a soap opera all year uh, they seem to have righted the ship again after they were sunk and then they were buoyed and then they you know, were sunk again they've won five in a row uh, LeBron is playing out of his mind. I mean, he had that 17 assist game the other night with no turnovers. I mean, just think about that for a second: 17 assists, no turnovers. I mean, I, you know, look, I, you know, and and again, uh, you know me. I, if you ever listen to the show, you know I'm a contrarian, right? I'm an icon. I'm an iconoclast, right? Every the the, the guy that everybody loves that loves to hold up as the as the paragon or as the shining example, I try to find ways to poke holes in it. I get that, right? That's who I am in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I don't understand this. The, the, these people like Skip Bales that keep trying to poke, take shots at LeBron. I mean, again, what, what, what do you want the guy to do? Okay, can he be a little self-congratulatory at times? Of course. You think Michael Jordan wasn't? Kobe Bryant? I mean, please. And LeBron, again, this guy has lived his life in the public eye since he was fourteen. And again, other than maybe some tweets that you might not like, <laughs> okay, uh, it, th- th- there's not been one hint of impropriety off the off the court from this guy. And his on the court play is unassailable. I mean, again, I get it. I'm not saying there's never a time to criticize, Le- criticize LeBron's play. Sure. He'll have bad games every now and then. He'll miss a clutch shot every now and then. I get it. Nobody's perfect, of course. But overall, the overall body of work is, I mean, to try to criticize, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So we'll see. You know, look, the Cavs are battling the the Sixers. By the way, Sixers have really done a nice job. Now, it took them six years to get here, but they're 42-30. and They've won six in a row, eight and two in the last ten, playing very well. And Bede's played great all year. The Simmons kid has played great at the point, you know, reinventing the position in a lot of ways, just because of the, 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 the height. You know, he didn't have the flash Magic had, and he's certainly not the player Magic was yet, but he, he shows flashes at times. You know, Redick was a solid uh, veteran addition to that team. Sarge, good player. It's a good team. Sixers are a good team. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, The East, to me, has the most intrigue right now. The West is essentially the Rockets and the Warriors. The Blazers have had a nice year at forty-five and twenty-eight. They don't have enough. (coughs) I don't like their bench. And they've got the great backcourt with McCollum and Lillard, uh, and and nourish the center. <coughs> Excuse me, but then it's about their role players, right? Al-Farouq you know, he's hot and cold, right? One game he's great, the next game you get, you know, one game you'll get twenty points from him, the next game you get six. Mo Harkless, the kid from St. John's, nice player, as far as a role player is concerned, but you know. He's not really that, that fourth option that you want to have, right? And their bench isn't really very good. So while they've had a nice year and they're built well for to win a bunch of games in a regular season, uh, they don't have enough for sustained success in the playoffs. Uh, same thing with the Pelicans, although Anthony Davis has put that team on his back ever since uh, Cousins went down. Uh, the Spurs... Look, it's going to be a bad year for the Spurs. They're not going to win 50 games, most likely, for the first time in about 20 years. Uh, you know, but that's, they've also been out without their best player for most of the year. And they're still going to win 45 games. And they've been without Kawhi Leonard for essentially the whole season. So, in any event, that will do it for this week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud Twitter at Jamal about sport OS Instagram Jamal and coming soon YouTube until then enjoy all the sports thanks for listening and peace out